You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Abema, and I have a special guest today, the author of A Healing Journey, Jennifer Farmer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you give us a little background? Where did you grow up? I am uh, from Fort Worth, Texas. I grew up in the suburbs of Fort Worth and uh, kind of in a regular, you know, working parent's life. You know, dad was a, um, he worked at General Dynamics and my mom worked in insurance. So it's, uh, you know, it's your typical nine to five or family. I've noticed uh, over the years that people come into this work, uh, working with death, dying and grief. In most cases, they come in due to personal experience. You just shared about the death of your dad, and it looks like you and your dad, you had a a very special relationship. Yeah, we did. So was that background the motivation for writing this wonderful book, uh, A Healing Journey? Oh, um, no. The reason I wrote the book is I, over the last few years of my work, I've been guided to help other people learn how to connect and hear messages from their loved ones. I didn't, I mean, I usually did that through private sittings and things like that, but I I was guided to uh, help people connect after the Pulse Night shooting. I was getting ready for a um, an event. I was doing an event for the homeless community and uh I, in my meditation and my prayer beforehand, uh, I felt the presence of these young children, young adults, help our people connect. And so through that um, sort of experience over the years, I've tried to figure out how to do that. And one of the biggest challenges that people experience when they want to hear from their loved ones or they want to have a dream or they want to know they're okay is is grief and so the feelings of grief the sadness the you know the emptiness Mm. well for some of us you know some of the regrets and i wrote this as a i felt guided to um the first step is really you got to start to heal your heart and re, you know rebuilding your life after somebody passes is it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, especially if they were in, and it's different for everybody. But this, I wanted to share that an everyday person, like they grew up in the suburbs, um, that anybody can have a connection to spirit, and but sometimes we have to do some of the healing work uh, within ourselves to put us in a place to receive, to hear, to feel, to sense uh, our loved ones with us. Yeah. I like this book. It's a fantastic workbook. You have it in six chapters. Yeah. And uh, so the first chapter, you talk about death is not the end. Could you talk Mm -hmm. to our listeners a little bit about that first chapter? What is the expectation? So this chapter is... um, you know, we want to start with the idea that, you know, it's not, you know, we don't just come here to die, you know, to work, die and pay taxes, right? That's that 
there is other ways that we can connect and have relationships. Just because somebody dies and transitions doesn't mean that relationship necessarily ends. And that's the point of that chapter. And this is the, you know, presenting the ideas of how loved ones want to bring healing and evidence of the afterlife to us as we are in this life. Mm. And I was in page 14 of uh of your book, you 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 talk about you know we, that we get sometimes when we are grieving, yeah. we get into this holding zone where it's hard to move forward because it seems overwhelming and impossible to overcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, you spoke about uh, some of the fears that delay uh, in preventing uh, healing and relief. Could you uh, read that part or talk to us about that? About well, the common fears. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think that one of the biggest fears is choosing to heal. Hmm. Because even if we let go, if we if we heal grief, it is our connect, that grief, that pain connects us to remembrance of our loved ones. So they, we feel them with us. So there's a big fear that if we choose to heal, or choose to move forward, that we are um, not honoring them. We are not, we might lose them. We might not hear messages from them. That we are, um, you know, even with, you know, long-term married couples, you know, I have a lot of widows that I've worked with and and widowers as well. And, you know, you know, the, the thought of living your life without your spouse or your child, there's such this, Fear is if I move on, I'm leaving you. Hmm. And that's just not true. That's one of the biggest ones that a lot of people have to overcome. And I think I, you know, talked to, he says, before you, and, you know, just in the first bullet. And I really think that's one of the biggest hurdles Hmm. um, is we're afraid that if we let go of the pain, we'll have nothing left to hang on to that connects us to our loved ones. Hmm. That's the biggest. I mean, there's other fears like, how do I relate to the world? How do, and, you know, depending on the functions of the relationship, dealing with the absence, the physical absence is, can be extremely overwhelming. How do you get up and, you know, have breakfast, you know? And that's why a lot of people still have breakfast with their loved ones. They, yeah. they get their two coffee cups and they, you know, and I know people that still do that years after their loved one has passed. Is that healthy? It, it works for them because, you know, grief and healing is different. It's a very personal journey. Sometimes people are worried about, like, if I do this, are they going to, are my loved ones going to think I forgot them? Like, hmm. if I if I find another mate, if I, um, if I get back to work in two weeks, does that mean I didn't love them? Right? So, I think that there's also people that are in grief that there sometimes is a worry about how they're handling that grief, not just from their loved ones, but people around them. So So how the society views how they're handling mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yes. And so that can be a pressure point. Like some people will isolate because they'll isolate in their grief. 
because, you know, maybe it's been two years or three years or four years, right? Maybe it's a prolonged grief. And they're like, well, if I go and they're going to say, I should move on. And if I if I could move on, then what? So a lot of people will isolate because they don't know. Um, they're, they don't want to hear or people press them to, well, you should be, you know, it's been two years. You should be over that. Not, no, depends on the situation. And it's not like it's storming every day in grief. I always think about grief is like the weather. It it, it truly is. It's so, it's some days it's just overcast. And some days it's like lightning and stormies. And then some days we get some sunshine, right? So, yeah. and every day is a little different. In chapter two, you talk about giving yourself permission. Mm. What does that look like? So, you know, it kind of goes back to that, um, you know, the first, you know, choosing to, okay, I want to, I want to try to process this suffering. I want to try to do the next right thing. I need to learn how to take care of myself. Then there's this thing where we have to give ourselves permission to have that experience. I do feel like there's this acknowledgement in in a pro I'm a process person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I like step one, step two, step three. And so I have found that if we really do spend time, I give myself permission to heal. I give myself permission to grieve. I give myself permission that it, be it begins to honor to thine own soul, to thine own spirit be true. And so I give myself permission to experience grief to move forward to get healing it's where you begin to kind of parent yourself in a loving way that mm -hmm. you begin to give give yourself permission to get the tools that you need to sit and cry every day for 15 minutes a day like it, there is a a process in that once we're choosing to heal giving ourselves permission opens another doorway mm. to uh, to a very, you know, difficult experience. Yeah. I like what you said in part, uh, in page 42, where you wrote that transformation begins when you give yourself permission to live again. I think that's really powerful right yeah. there. Yeah. And, you know, when I say live again, it doesn't mean, um, you know, I guess the hardest thing is that some people really struggle with being happy like if 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 my loved one sees me happy do they think i forgot about them or that that diminishes our love like there's this sort of thing that goes on with um the expectation of love and if you love somebody and of course our loved ones want to see us happy yeah right yeah but when we're in that space, giving yourself permission to to grow, to heal, it is the start of the transformation, and it and it's a journey that uh, it you know some people uh, you know it takes a lifetime because of whatever that relationship was or the timing of the passing, right? Yeah. So some people have to make a conscious choice to move forward, especially people that have been like partnered up like their their significant other or their partner 
and they, you know, spent 40, 50 years together, they're like really choosing to give yourself permission to do something without your loved one. It isn't, you know, dating, uh, going to yoga class, just different outside of the different routines that you've done before. Yeah. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Again, our guest is Jennifer Farmer. She's the author of A Healing Journey, How to Heal Grief and Rebuild Your Life After Loss. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. In chapter three of your book, you talk about uh, planning for the stormy weather, and that involves preparing for holidays and all that kind of stuff. Could you talk more about that? So, you know, um, a, a lot of humans, we have traditions and cultures and you know, birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, activities that we shared with that person. And um, I, as we are thinking about how am I going to get through Christmas? What am I going to do at Christmas? What am I going to do on that the birthday? It kind of brings up the absence of our loved one again. And so I always encourage, uh, you know, to anticipate those stormy days, whether it's like my son, you know, after my mom passed, she passed the same year my son got married. Mm. And uh, when we, you know, when we were thinking about that, uh, one of the ladies uh, put together an honoring table of loved ones that had, you know, recognized their, it was like a a table full of all the, you know, ex, you know, loved ones that had, had transitioned. Planning for those times that we have used to, you know, that we are accustomed to um, spending that with big family where people are going to ask you, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Or they they don't talk about it at all. And so people, you know, they just come up and, hey, it's good to see you. And, you know, how do you plan for those kinds of conversations? And, you know, then the other thing too is, Planning for the regular day to day, like you're used to going to the grocery store and buying certain things on Friday. You know, I always think it's not just the big events, it's the small day to day stuff that we're reminded like, okay, now that I'm not getting this groceries, like what do I get now? Because this is what he loved or she loved. And mm. then you, you know, you think about your grocery list, you think about uh, you know, how you are going to celebrate those things, you know, those events too. And I think having a little, you know, just an acknowledgement of one or two days in the year. And it doesn't matter if it's one year or 10 years. Mm. There, you know, I've gone through periods and, you know, my dad's been, you know, past more than 20 years. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And some holidays are like, okay, like I get it. But, um, you know, that, it, that it's okay. And then some days I'm reminded, you know, of that. And so I always, for me, I um, one, one of the things I do every year to honor my kind of to do something positive and that I, I do believe if we take actions to honor their love and our love for them on that day, 
whether it be a hello, whether it be a candle, whether it be, um, you know, writing him a little letter, maybe you, uh, if it's at Christmas, of course, my, my dad's birthday was at Christmas. Um, you know, my, we did holiday traditions there. So every year I honor my dad by doing an event for the public. So it helps me connect to him because I'm honoring him. And so, you know, the days prior to this, I'm like, Hey dad, it's your time. We're honoring you instead of what I, you know, would do is like, what do we do now that we're not putting up the Christmas tree on December 6th? Hmm. Right. So some of those traditions need some planning, which includes honoring that loved one. Yeah. And, you know, it may it may vary from year to year, but I've done something consistent now for whew, over 15 years is yeah. I just do, you know, I do an event to like take time to honor him. I do that for my mom in the springtime because that's when she passed. So yeah. there's there's things that we just need to think about so that we can anticipate him for our own mental health. Yeah. What I like about you and your work is that you this is lived experience. This is not yeah. just theory. This is something you've lived. Yeah. Um, when your dad died, you were much younger. And yeah. how, how did you deal with that first Father's Day? Oh, after? it was terrible. Yeah. I did everything wrong. Like, yeah. I started drinking heavily. I, uh, you know, cut myself off from the world. I, 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 I put it in a box and said, I'm not dealing with this. And the pain was so high. I tried many coping skill, you know, unhealthy coping aspects to uh, handle that. And then at some point I just stayed, like it just stayed in this low level box for many, many years. Mm. But I just, every time I talked to him, my every time I thought about him, I didn't really understand the power of what, loved ones will do to bring healing in. I just locked my heart up and I just wouldn't, I didn't ever want to go through losing someone I love like that again. I just locked it up. And so at this little filter on the world and I really truly wasn't, I was existing, but I wasn't. So yeah. And and, until, um, you know, I had a powerful experience. You know, he, he sent me a message through somebody and it really opened the doorways for me. Mm. So it looks like there was always, you know, um, a spiritual moment, something that helped and took you out of uh, your moments of pain and guide you towards uh, the light of healing. Uh, yeah. The holidays are coming and some people who will be listening to us might have lost their loved ones during the the year. How do you navigate that empty chair at the family's gatherings, and um, what advice do you have for them in navigating that uh, empty chair? So, you know, if you want to set a plate out for them, go ahead and do it. If you want to not set a plate out, that's fine too, but you can always acknowledge their presences with you, like especially if it's in an event. But, you know, the biggest thing I would say is, uh, and it might not, not just be the empty chair. It might mm-hmm. be the empty arm. If you're somebody that is right, that is going out and doing places, first thing I would just do is just take a little time before you go out into the world and um, honor that, whether it's an I love you, whether it's I'm still mad at you, whether it's, you know, I don't know, I'm going to get through that. Just making that heart to heart 
connection with them. Uh, I'm a letter writer. Again, I told you I'm practical, right? Because I have to see it for me to believe it. A lot of people can do a lot of other things and put pictures and, you know, things like that out. So first thing is just recognize that there is going to be an empty chair. And are you okay to talk about how you're doing, right? You might think about, you know, people say, well, how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's hard, but I'm struggling and I'm getting through it. Like, you think about how you want to handle things, right? Yeah. And the second thing is, is if you're doing events, you know, you have to go to the families. Don't make yourself stay longer than you want to. Like if, like, if you are ready to go in 20 minutes, it's okay to say, you know what? I've got, you know, I'm not up to it. I'm just going to. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to have to talk to you guys later. And that's uh, one thing I do. And I'm extremely, um, this is a powerful tool is service. Okay. Hmm. Is if you are, you know, if you don't have family events and you're alone or you're by yourself, this is where I really think it's a great opportunity to do things for the world. Meaning you go feed the homeless, you go work in the soup kitchen, you go, you know, for that week, you go and you volunteer for the SPCA or you decide you're going to find a local nursing home and you're going to, you know, bring them flowers or just start to go meet people with their lunchtime in the nursing home. Sometimes getting doing that service piece, you can just say, honey, I miss you. This is what we're doing now because I I really want to do. I, I, I want to move through this healthy. And then there might be that time too that you need to stay in bed and just have your have your cry, have your release, you know. So it looks different from everybody, but I always think that one of the key things, if we are letting our soul guide us, if we are helping others in some way, even for a short activity dropping cupcakes off, you know, whatever. Um, it allows us to feel love and express love yeah. in that action that you would have probably done that with your loved one. Mm. You see, so you get the feelings of being loved and either giving and receiving the vibration is, is there in you. So yeah. there's a, there's a, a loving power with, there's a power in love as we do that. Well, that would take a little break and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Bem, and we continue our conversation. Uh, like we've already established, grief can be intense. It can be challenging. What is the role of rest and, and self-care? in dealing with grief as we walk towards healing? So with that particular 
um, you know, call it rest, repair, and rebuild. And as is when our life changes, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a loved one, it can be a job. Grief isn't always about people. I've read somewhere in one of the workbooks, like there's 42 levels, like there's 42 different aspects of grief, right? There's different, you know, things that you can experience. You know, whether you lost a limb, right, or lost a loved one, you're still dealing with that transition. And so it is out with the old and in with the new, no matter how resistant we are about it. And, and you know, as we're going to move forward because life moves us forward that way. But in doing that, that we have to acknowledge and give that space. We have to have some awareness for rest. Is it, you know, not pushing through or if you are pushing through scheduling time for rest. Now, a lot of people like with my dad, I didn't rest. There's no resting. You know, with my mom, I was a lot healthier. I was you know, aware that her presence was with me. I knew that it was a different kind of experience. Again, unexpected passing. Definitely, it was not like it wasn't like we had goodbyes, right? Yeah. So that has its own thing. But uh, rest and repair. There is we are repairing our broken parts. Sometimes we have to repair checkbooks, depending on finances. Don't you know? Depending on you know activities that we did. So the world will look different, and we have to build a new house. And so in building that house, sometimes we're resting and taking a break until we get the vision. Sometimes we take small steps towards rebuilding it, getting friends, going to a support group. Right? Yeah. And so that's kind of the process. We have to acknowledge that we can, we're in that at some level, but sometimes being more intentional about it helps you progress a little bit easier. I think int intentionality really plays a big part. And you're right in that sometimes grief finds us in different mental spaces. Yes. Like when your dad died, you were in a totally different mental space. Oh, yeah. And uh, the grieving process was uh, much more negative and tough. Yeah. But when your mom died later on, you were in a, in a better mental space. And yes. you knew how to pace yourself, how to take time, you know, to, to regain your energy and your strength, uh, to replenish all those things. So, yeah. We have to be mindful on where, you know, where it finds us in life. But I think, like you said, the healthiest way is to find time uh, for self-care because it's yeah. tough. We'll always yeah. grieve, you know, the healing takes longer. Sometimes, sometimes quick. There's no time frame, you know, we are all different. And I like your uh, intentionality on that. Because sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We feel like we have to do something. We have to show something. But self-care, people would take it for granted. But yeah. I look at it, it's also a form of you have to love yourself. And, and depending on where you are with that, that could be, that's part of the healing journey, you know, yeah. to forgive myself for not going to see him, for, you know, forgiving myself for what I did or didn't say, you know, um, that's kind of the, you know, as we, I think when we are talking about loving ourselves, there, we get back to that space of, 
I got to give myself permission. No, nobody taught me to love myself. That wasn't something we ever talked about. So we give, give ourselves permission to learn yeah. how to love ourselves and to acknowledge our needs and to realize that we are a vulnerable, special, spiritual vessel and that we have, you know, we have needs that it's just like caring for a child. We have needs, food, shelter, water, safety. You need to know we're going to be okay. And that's something as we are adults, a lot of us have to learn to do that for ourselves. Yeah. And you also, your book in chapter five talks about getting a new purpose. I remember I was talking to a bereaved uh, spouse. Uh, they were married, I think she said, for about 55 years, and now her husband died. The thing is, during the process of the illness, maybe for the last five years, she was actually the primary caregiver right there every day taking care of him. And now that he's gone, she feels like she's lost not only a, a big piece of her life, but also her purpose. Yeah. So how do we help people like that who are saying, you know, my loved one has died and I don't have a purpose to live anymore? How do they, you know, dig deep and find a new purpose? So what you're talking about so is very real. I don't have the will to live for myself. That yeah. that we have to acknowledge that statement that you said is that just acknowledging I don't want to live like this, yeah. you know. And that w w in beginnings, in getting a new purpose, it is <laughs> to live through the grief. The first step is to not die with it, hmm. right? Yeah. Not, right? You you have to, like the first thing I would say is for somebody in her situation is your main purpose is to eat, to get sleep, and to begin to get comfortable in your own skin and do one positive activity, whether it's uh, movement can be very powerful. Walking in nature uh, or like a friend of mine, when her partner passed, her whole goal was to watch comedies. Like I'm only like my purpose is to watch every comedy show on the planet. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so she, she began, right. So that was a purpose for her because she wanted to laugh mm. and, and she too was a caregiver. So the bad, the hard thing about a caregiver role and a lot of people experience that is there's a you were giving and receiving love every single day and so now it's how do you learn to give love to yourself every single day mm. and usually with giving people they don't know how to receive yeah. and so things the basics food shelter water right making one phone contact a week um those kinds of purposes can be, even though they sound super simplistic, that can be, you know, remembering to shower, to eat, you know, to have a healthy meal, to have chocolate ice cream if you want it, right? The purpose <laughs> is to, you know, so I would start there. Yeah. And then I would begin to, what activities do you really enjoy doing? And I would start to look at activities with them. Is it walking, singing, planting a garden? Is it going to church? Is it, uh, you know, uh, watching comedy TV shows? Like whatever that looks like. 
is we then we begin with one activity and we, we give ourselves permission to enjoy that one activity. And we start there too. It's, it's, I always feel like it's baby steps. It, it, you know, the transformation, even though we're way different, it, it's more like unveiling the onion. One, two, three, four. And at the end is this beautiful bloom, which is your soul and your spirit. You're right. We have to appreciate the baby steps. In most cases, we, are, we want the big steps. Yeah, but it we just is want the to feel better steps. today. Or we just don't want to go through it, right? We're like, we don't want to go forward, but we don't want to go through it either, right? So there's a, you know, there's a resistance that can happen. So what are your final thoughts? Well, first of all, if any of your podcasters, any of your listeners, I just you know, want to give you permission to experience your journey. You may not be somebody that experienced a lot of pain. Maybe there was this bittersweet um, gift that your loved one was ill and now their body is free. Right. So. I'll give you, you know, permission not to hold on to your suffering if it's not, you know, just because you're not um, going through maybe some of the things that other people have as far as the everyday, day-to-day life, because grief looks different uh, for everybody, meaning how you interact with them every day versus you see them once a month, that, that kind of thing. Wherever you are, just know that there's a loving hand of spirit that is with you that has your back, that you, if you'll listen to your little nudges and start with four space of giving yourself permission to have and move through your experience with self-care and self-love, you know, or get a motto. Like for me, I um, sobriety and being sober was real important. So my first year after my mom died was, I just want to stay safe, sane, and sober. So I gave myself like that was the permission that I gave. And it was definitely still a different experience, but I had personal self goals in that. I want to stay safe. I want to stay sane. Right. And I want to stay sober. And so those are the kinds of little things that you can start with is what is the goal that you want for your experience? Right. Mm -hmm. If you don't know it, just say, start with, I want to start learning how to take care of myself in this new normal. And let it start there. Well said. How can our listeners get a hold of you and a hold of this wonderful book? So thank you so much. Uh, this book is on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. <laughs> you know, you got Amazon Prime. It just gets there like a super fast. Uh, you can also go to my website at jenniferfarmer.com, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, jenniferfarmer.com. And that's how you can reach me. Jennifer, thank you very much. Uh, for being with us and for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us here in the studio and with our listeners around the world. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much, Sal, for having me. And I want to just say a prayer for all those that are in your listeners that, you know, may you be at peace. May your heart be wide open. May you awaken to the light of your own true nature. May you be healed and may you be a source of healing for all beings. And so it is. That was Jennifer Farmer, the author of A Healing Journey, How to Heal Grief and Rebuild Your Life. I would encourage you to get a copy of this wonderful book. Thank you very much for listening. 
This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.